Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. How's this for stating the obvious? With very few exceptions, speaking out about mental health issues in the world of sports has been, and quite frankly, continues to be taboo. But the times, they are a-changing. The list of renowned athletes across the sports spectrum who are doing just that is growing, forcing the sports world to acknowledge, accept, and understand that the pressures of competing can and have impacted the well-being of both professional and amateur athletes. And there to provide a voice, a safe haven to focus on their well-being is the hidden opponent. This nonprofit raises awareness of student-athlete mental health while addressing the stigma within sports culture by advocating, educating, and supporting these men and women to feel heard, supported, and loved. Numerous colleges and universities are affiliated with THO. One of its co-founders and its chief operating officer is my guest today. Leanne Pissarro is a former student athlete at Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia. She was recruited to play goalie for the soccer team. Leanne struggled with anxiety and depression, particularly after being diagnosed with various sports-related concussions. She happens to teach high school English in Tampa, Florida, where she also coaches varsity soccer and lacrosse. So let's meet and get to know Leanne Pizarro. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me remotely today. Hi, Sandy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and to be having this conversation with you. (laughs) Let's hope you'll feel that way when the conversation is over. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. When you were growing up, Leanne, did you have an affinity for sports? Did you play a lot of sports as a little kid? Oh, God, yeah. Well, my mom, infamous story. My mom says that my first word as a child was ball. (laughs) So I think that's pretty funny. And um, since then, I've been running around like crazy, playing just about every sport that they had to offer. Um, At some point, I was playing with the boys. Um, When that kind of, you know, grew out of that phase, we moved on to all the girls' teams. But I've always been someone that loves watching sports, playing sports, and just being active. So absolutely, it's been a huge part of my life since since the get-go. When you were playing with the boys back in the day, that wasn't an organized activity, wasn't it? Just maybe like a pickup game that they let you join or was it TBO? A little bit of both. Um, I remember we played T-ball, me and my one friend that was also a girl played T-ball on all guys teams for a while. One of my first basketball leagues was a Sunday basketball league that I joined with a guy friend. Um, it was it was just me and a team full of guys. Um, so yeah, I didn't really notice much about gender back then, except that I wanted to be running around and playing sports and doing what I love. So from an early age, I definitely was getting active and didn't really notice those things. Well, give me a time frame for this, that when when the boys were accepting of you, what year was that and how old were you? It's funny. I just wrote a piece about this. Like, when does it become unacceptable, right? Yeah. When do those gender when do those gender norms start kicking in? Um, but I'm gonna say probably t-ball and basketball started when I was five, six, seven, and then maybe through like second grade, it was you know not that taboo to be out there on a court with all guys. Um, my mom does say though that I noticed you know they wouldn't necessarily pass to me as much stuff like that, and I really had to prove myself. Mm. Um, twofold to kind of get that acceptance on the court. I don't, frankly, I don't remember it, but my mom remembers me having conversations about those kind of things. 
You mean going to her and, and kind of expressing? Yeah, like, uh, oh, mom, the boys aren't passing to me or something mm, like that. Mm. Um, or, you know, in basketball, the only way I would get the ball was, you know, if I got my own rebound or something. So, yeah, it's really funny to think back to that, but I loved it. Uh, my mom said no to tackle football. That was the one no she had. Um, Smart I know I played. No, I might add. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I played flag football for a minute and ended up shipping a tooth. And I think that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I remember, I remember just being active and playing with the guys. And then I'd say maybe through like third and fourth grade, I remember recess was, it was still cool to play sports at recess. Um, all the girls and all the guys played soccer at recess. And then I want to say come middle school, maybe the, so sixth grade, suddenly those gender norms really seemed to kick in. And, mm. you know, it was no more sports with the boys at recess. You know, girls do this, guys do that. Girls dress this way, guys dress that way. So yeah, I, I actually was just reflecting on this recently in a, just in a journal reflection, really. Um, it's interesting to think about. So when you got to high school, just again, give us a time frame. What year was that? I was born in 98, so I'm 22 years old. My first year of high school would have been 2012, 2013. Okay. Um, that school year. And my first year of high school was at the local public school that my parents went to. Big, big soccer culture at my local high school. And I was a soccer soccer um, player growing up. That was kind of my main sport. And um, I ended up having, honestly, I had an injury with my knee, but looking back, I see how much, uh, how exasperated that injury was based on the start of my anxiety kicking in, performance anxiety. You and mean I it, it was it was not as bad as you, yeah, as you hate, interpreted it. And I hate to admit that now because it it still feels weak. In even though I know you know there's so many other compounding factors, but. You know, I was transitioning to high school athletics um, for a state championship soccer team, and I was nervous. And I was a soccer goalkeeper, so that's a position, you know, there's only one of you on the field. And I was trying to earn a spot behind a senior goalie, and, you know, I remember really just feeling that pressure my freshman year and kind of cracking under it. And then, you know, this niggle in my knee that was like a small little thing I think I, I truly do believe my anxiety exacerbated that mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, conflated it to be a bit worse than it was. Um, so I ended up kind of having a weird freshman year sports-wise per se, but still playing elite club travel soccer. Um, New, I'm from New Jersey. New Jersey is a big soccer state. Um, some of the best players in the world come out of our state. Very proud of it. Um, I'm a Jersey girl and I didn't know that. Yeah, fun fact. New oh, Jersey yeah. is I know one of the top states. Yes, okay. please okay. do. Mm-hmm. Some of the soccer greats are from Jersey. Um, so, you know, things got really competitive for my little club team starting in sixth, seventh grade. We were traveling all over the country, playing elite tournaments, getting higher and higher in the rankings. At one point, we were ranked fourth in the, in the nation. Wow. Wow. And taken seriously. People were dismissive of these girls who were playing soccer well. Yeah. It was eighth grade, I remember. And we were kind of a little bit of like a smaller hometown team going up against some of the big farm clubs that, you know, pump out Olympic athletes. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were really proud of ourselves. So I think because soccer became really competitive really early, that was kind of when I decided, you know, soccer will be it. I'll still play other sports here and there, but I kind of seem to have a leg up in the soccer realm already. So. So then that became cultivated when when you left middle school to go into junior high and high school. And you apparently were forced to be reckoned with in terms of your expertise. Not too bad. Yeah. 
And then I also, I've always been someone that's been extremely academically motivated. So, you know, grades were very important to me. I love school. I love reading. I love learning. Um, and so I kind of came to this crossroads of where do I want to go with my next step, um, whether it's college or now. And um, I actually transferred to a pretty elite prep school my sophomore year of high school. And that kind of changed my trajectory a little bit. And that academics kind of took a forefront mm-hmm. role. Um, it's called the Lawrenceville School. It's in Princeton, New Jersey. And Yep, I know it. Um, it's a great, great school, great experience. I loved it so, so much. And I'm super fortunate to have been able to have that experience. But playing soccer at that elite level is hard when you have Saturday classes. So, you know, it was a, definitely a juggling act for those three years, but I'm super grateful I was able to do it with the help of family. Um, countless hours spent in the car driving places and tournaments mm-hmm. and whatnot. But it was it was the perfect combination for me of the academic rigor that I needed and the sports world. So it's kind of what my next step was. Well, as I mentioned in the introduction, that you were pursued by Washington and Lee University in Virginia. So that uh, is a big deal. Yeah. So I actually had dreams and goals of playing division one Ivy league soccer. That was, that was it for me. That was what I needed to do in my head to be successful. And, um, it actually to jump into the mental health conversation, maybe a little early, but what really changed my point of view and my, my mindset was the loss of a friend, um, Madison Holleran, who was a former teammate of mine at my public school. So my freshman year, she was a sophomore, or sorry, my freshman year, she was a senior on the soccer team and she was an all-star. She was absolutely someone that everyone looked up to. And me as a little freshman, you know, she's the quintessential person of like who you want to be when you grow up kind mm-hmm. of kind of thing. So my sophomore year, I'm at my new new school. And I remember I was actually home one weekend and I learned that she had passed away. And I'm thinking, you know, tragic accident, something terrible has happened. And it later comes out that she took her own life. Oh, good Lord. For a 16-year-old, let me tell you, Uh, that really shattered my world, popped my bubble. Oh, my God. And I I, I mean, to be honest, I, I lived relatively sheltered. I didn't really understand even what that was or how someone could do that, let alone someone that I knew and someone that I looked up to and someone that I admired so much. Um, so that really changed my point of view on, you know, maybe I don't need to go to the Ivy league. Maybe I don't need to go division one. Maybe I want to reorient myself and change my perspective a little bit on what I want to do with my next step. Um, so I started, you know, realizing, you know, I'm very multidimensional I'm very multifaceted and the division three level is what is going to let me be that person and be whoever I want to be and do other things outside Mm -hmm. of my sport. Mm -hmm. So Long story short, end up looking at a lot of Division three schools, um, end up at Washington Lee, which was a tough choice for me. Um, definitely not very well known where we're from, but it's a great school, great academic rigor and great programs offered. So I'm, I was happy with the choice then and am proud graduate of the class of 2020, which is crazy. So Oh, that's yeah. 10 minutes ago. Good grief. Ten, that's right. Yeah, that's right. First year of adulting, I like to say. <laughs> so that really expanded your world, didn't it? I mean, the stakes were very, very different being recruited and being a star athlete for a university. Yeah, it's 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 funny. 
I feel like I was running a million miles an hour my junior and senior year of, of high school. And to be honest, I was playing this insanely elite level my junior and senior year. Some of my uh, teammates from those years are in the National Women's Soccer League now. Um, so that's kind of the caliber of where I was playing back then. I think I was one of only three kids on my team to go Division three um, versus a lot of them were big, big D1 schools. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got to WNL and things kind of slowed down. It kind of felt, it was a little bit of, I felt like I had made it, you know, like I'd, I'd accomplished the dream of being a college athlete, but also things were, things were different. It was, it was almost a little bit slower than what I had been doing and the fast pace of, you know, elite boarding school classes, six days a week. And then you get to college and it's like, there's not as much classes. You have a bit more downtime. It's, it's kind of weird. It was a weird transition, but hmm. um, I felt prepared and I felt prepared academically. I felt prepared soccer wise. Obviously the girls are bigger and faster, but technically I felt prepared to play at that level. So that was good. So forgive the pun, but after graduation, what was your goal? Graduation of high school? Nope, college. What was your college? Take your athletic expertise to another level, a professional level? It's funny. People have asked me that question in this realm a lot. And I I never, never thought that would be the case for me. I I was I was kind of more in the boat of I'm grateful to have the extra time playing in college, but I'm ready for the next step, whatever that is. And completely honest, I think I started burning out. Um I know I had a burnout phase a little bit in high school and I started burning out a little bit in college, um, which is why I dove into, you know, other things outside of soccer as well, which I loved having that opportunity at the division three level. And then I knew from a pretty early in my college career that I wanted to be a teacher and a coach. And I really looked at coaching kind of as my next step for continuing my athletic career of sorts. And so I really took time during college to, you know, analyze uh, strategy and try to figure out, you know, how do different players respond to different coaches? And I actually remember thinking during practice, how would I run this practice if I was the coach? So it's interesting. A lot of girls, you know, do gear up for playing at the next level. And even when I was playing in college, I was thinking about my next level being as coaching. So Leanne, let's move over to the hidden opponent. Sure. How and forgive the obvious question of why did you two women give birth to this? Yeah, so it's definitely Victoria's child. Victoria Garrick is my co-partner at The Hidden Opponent. She's a former Division I volleyball player at USC in California. And she ended up giving a TED Talk her sophomore year in 2017 titled The Hidden Opponent, um, The Mental Health of Athletes. And that TED Talk ended up going viral, which is crazy because she almost, she kind of gave it on a whim, was trying to push herself to do something different, practice her public speaking and whatnot. And the TED Talk blew up on the internet. And so she's on her way towards graduating. And she had originally intended on doing something in, you know, media or journalism, sports media. And she's like, you know what? I feel like this is not something that's talked about. Let's run with this idea. So she founds a nonprofit in October of 2019. And that means we're pretty relatively young for nonprofit sphere. And I come around about March of last year. So just at the start of the pandemic. And we had actually met, she had come to visit my 
campus at Washington and Lee and give us give a talk. So she had been traveling the country giving different, you know, versions of her TED talk per se, kind of amplifying her message and the message of, you know, student athletes need this type of conversation and support. And I met her there and it's so funny. She was like, oh yeah, this is great. Like shoot me an email and let's talk. And the pandemic hits and I ended up never sending her an email, which is crazy. So follow up on your email is the uh, moral of the story. But (laughs) I guess the greater forces wanted us to get together because a random connection found me on LinkedIn and we started chatting about mental health and some of the work that I had been doing about blogging, about you know sports and athletes and whatnot, and some of the work I had been doing personally, just on my own Instagram account. And this guy ended up connecting me with Victoria. And a couple of months later, we are working together. And now fast forward a year later, we're basically best friends and co-partners in this mission. And things are going swell. We're still growing and we're still young and scrappy, but... Um, we're really, we really believe we're just getting started on what this could be. So was my introduction accurate when I said the times they are changing? Do you think Michael Phelps notwithstanding, and there's certainly been other huge boldface sports names, but do you really feel it was the Naomi Osaka issue that really propelled the hidden opponent yeah, so we've had a couple really amazing things come in the recent in the past year that have really propelled our success. The first was actually last summer, July of 2020. Um, Kobe Bryant released a book. Kobe, in his in his retirement, had worked to you know do a lot of this advocacy work for mental health and for young elite athletes. And mental health was something that he really cared about. So, fun fact: Kobe was actually one of the first founder like supporters of the Hidden Opponent. Who's oh, a huge really? supporter. Yeah, huge supporter of the hidden opponent. So Victoria, before she even founded the nonprofit, basically went to Kobe Inc. in LA and pitched the idea to him. And he absolutely loved it. He was, you know, all in on supporting us in any way we needed and whatnot. And so um, it's it's a tragic, tragic loss for the world uh, that he's no longer with us. But mm-hmm. we definitely feel it extra hard here at THO. So he had been working on a book called Geese Are Never Swans. And it's a young adult novel and I'm a reader and a writer. So I I love this kind of stuff. But his goal was really to just put out a young adult book that has characters that talk about mental health and face mental health challenges. And the book's about a young swimmer with goals to go to the Olympics and um, kind of the battles that he faces. And we were so fortunate to be included in the back of the book next to the Michael Phelps Foundation as further resources for uh-huh. um, for student athletes. Yeah. That's so that powerful, was very powerful. It was massive to have our name in something that has Kobe Bryant's name on the front of it. No kidding. Was incredible. Um and I only wish he was here to see it, but did he did he suffer from that also? Was this very personal for him? He he absolutely talked about the mental side of the game more than a lot of athletes. And uh, there's something famous, you know, called the Mamba mentality that a lot of people look at as, you know, push through the pain, do this, that, whatever, do whatever it takes to be the best. Mm-hmm. And Victoria actually, there's a great clip of her and him. Uh, Kobe had visited USC and Victoria was able to ask him a question live. And, you know, she gets up to the microphone and basically asks, you know, how does Mamba mentality translate into like the mental health sphere? And don't quote me word for word, but something about the mental game and 
you know, when is enough enough and how does mental health play into this mama mentality that everyone has? And Kobe was pretty straightforward in that, you know, being in touch with your emotions and being in touch with all the good, all the bad is mama mentality. It's not just pushing through pain and ignoring that thing, those things that are hard. Um, so he was, he was super straightforward and we use that clip a lot to kind of show how he was kind of starting that conversation of mental health and how mental toughness plays into also the mental health realm. Right. As well as physical toughness, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's definitely something that he cared about, um, something that he talked about. His book is, is a great read for, for anyone looking to kind of see that representation in the media a bit more. So you see now how your work I mean, you're almost at the beginning of it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, we really are, which is so exciting. So the Kobe book was really just a year ago, and that was a huge support and huge help for us. And then we launched a campus captains program last August. And I really do think that will also be the cornerstone of our foundation coming forward. And the idea of that is to have passionate ambassadors of our mission on various campuses across the country that are kind of doing that grassroots work on individual campuses, which that really just extends our mission so much further than I personally could or Victoria could. Um, Having those students that are current student athletes working towards this mission on their own unique campuses is a really powerful thing. So our first year of that was, you know, during COVID, which was obviously complicated, but we still had a great, great year, saw a ton of success, saw over 300 student athletes get involved. Um, on over 250 unique college campuses, ranging from, you know, all over the U.S. to some Canada, some in the U.K. And they've they've come up with some incredible initiatives, um, events, fundraising opportunities um, in honor of student-athlete mental health. So that was huge for us and really also extended our mission and kind of just at the forefront of what's to come. What kind of support has the hidden opponent gotten from the powers that be. I mean, that's basically what rules university. Right, right. We had one of our first conference-wide events with the Centennial Conference, which is a great Division III um, conference in the Northeast. And they, you know, they brought us in to talk to all of their student-athletes. I, I don't even remember how many student-athletes were on that call, but it was an incredible conference-wide initiative to really put forth this message um, and we're seeing more and more conferences get on board with that kind of thing. So not just individual universities, but larger um, institutions such as the conferences, you know, to really get those kind of larger powers that be on board is what will end up making some, some huge leaps. So we're excited to continue to push at that level as well as the grassroots level. So why do you think the issue with Naomi Osaka resonated and then had other people just not get it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of the story of mental health in general is a lot of people don't get it. And I hate to say it, but it is something that a lot of people face at some point in their life. You know, there's statistics that you can throw around, but statistics don't really tell the full truth on this kind of thing due to lack of reporting. So yeah, I mean, mental struggles and mental health are something that a lot of people face. And I, I think it takes someone to really experience it or know someone that's experienced it to fully understand it. Um, however, Naomi, she's, she's choosing to step away from 
a major tournament for her mental health. If she had said, you know, oh, my ankle is not not well, I need to step away, it'd be a totally different story, right? And that's the place that we need to start getting with mental health is understanding that it, it does affect you in the same ways. Often it does affect you physically. So for her to take this mental health break is huge because I've said it, I've said this in a recent article as well. We've had a lot of athletes, professional elite athletes come out in the media with their mental health stories kind of after the fact and say, you know, oh yeah, during this time in my life, I was really struggling. It was really hard. And kudos to them, all the power to them, right? But it's very different for Naomi to say, you know, I'm suffering right now and I am in it Mm -hmm. right now. So Mm -hmm. I am going to choose to step away for this reason. It's, it's, It's different. I think she is the highest paid athlete, female athlete in the world last year. For her to take that mental health break, she has a huge spotlight. And I'm sure she knew that it would be difficult and it would be hard, but the stigma would, you know, come around, but she still did it anyway. And so we have to give her incredible kudos for that. Tell me how you do address that stigma within sports culture in terms of your organization. Step one is, you know, my favorite part and how I originally got involved in the hidden opponent is the storytelling aspect. So as I said, I'm a reader, I'm a writer. Um, I was an English major in college and I first got involved with the hidden opponent to help them with sharing stories. So soliciting, editing, writing, editing other people's stories and whatnot to help students share their mental health story. And I think it's really powerful to see, you know, someone might say something that you resonate with and it's like, oh, I'm not alone. So that's step one. And I think those are kind of how we started as a conversation starter is sharing those student athlete stories. Um, Let so me interrupt you one. and just yeah. ask you in terms of that, you it's both genders. The hidden yes. opponent, it focuses on males and females. Absolutely, which yeah. okay. is actually ironically, it's great that you bring that up too. It's You'd be surprised how difficult it is for us to conquer the male masculinity stigma even further. We have almost 29,000 followers on Instagram and I think 80% of them are female, female Mm -hmm. uh, declared on Instagram stats. And almost all of the stories that we get are from female athletes. So when we get a male athlete in our inbox, I, I take the time to personally thank them even further because I do feel that it is harder for them to come forth and of course. Oh yeah. Give this story. And there are statistics that, you know, females will quote unquote suffer from mental illness more often, whether that be, you know, hormones or that they just are more willing to report it. But men are much more likely to die by suicide. In the sports world. In in general. In general. Wow. 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 And I think that just speaks to the stigma of men are choosing suicide because they are don't see a way out. They don't see um, a way to open up and get help. Females are much more likely to go to therapy, go um, ask someone else for help than males. And that just makes, it makes sense given the stigma of, you know, what masculinity should be. Right. Um, So yeah, the hidden opponent looks to cover all ages, genders, whatever you have, but we do see predominantly female supporters and predominantly female story shares. Do you work with college coaches? 
See, that's, that's a great, great question. We do get a lot of college coaches that will, you know, follow us, interact with us, send us, you know, ask for resources or send us resources. But that is definitely one realm that we do want to expand. I do think that my generation per se, my age group is at the forefront of this conversation and really beginning to understand what mental health is, what mental illness is and how it can affect someone. I, I don't, and I hate to generalize, but I don't think the generation above us, who is often a lot of the coaches, are fully there yet and having the same conversations. Regardless of what they coach, who they coach, whether it's male or female? Right. I had a tough experience in college with my own coach and my own mental health and all of those things. But I do think, one, the good news is we're churning out a lot of athletes like myself who are then turning to coaching and taking you know, our experiences and our mental health beliefs into the coaching realm. But two, I also think we are educating coaches who maybe haven't, have been in this field for a long time, but haven't necessarily had those conversations as much in the past. So that's something that in our next coming years, we really would love to develop more of like a coach's program to get them a bit more on board, a bit more educated, give them some support resources and kind of just get them more involved in this conversation as well. How has the fact that you were personally impacted by this affected your work? It's definitely powerful for me as one of the leads of the hidden opponent to be able to say, you know, I really understand what you're saying. I I get where you're going through. I hear you. I see you. I feel you because I've been there too. And I think, you know, someone looks at an organization like the hidden opponent and, you know, maybe they don't know what's behind the scenes, but we try to be super transparent. We try to build connections. I have numerous cell phone numbers of, you know, supporters or followers or what have you of people that I've just had great conversations with from that could stem from, you know, a DM message on Instagram. Um, And something that we're always trying to do is just make sure people don't feel alone. So if that means me sharing a little bit of my story, a little bit of my background with a stranger, I'm more than happy to do that. You know, Leanne, I'm also interested in the fact that mental health issues as I'm not good enough or this is just too hard for me to do versus what some women and men as well have suffered through in terms of the sexual harassment. I mean, just think of the you know gymnastics come to mind. We want to elevate any issue, problem, anything that an athlete may face. And unfortunately, those span a wide, wide scope. Yes, we were founded based on, you know, talking about traditional mental illness. Victoria's story is about, you know, body image, eating disorder, anxiety, depression. My story is more so about anxiety and depression. But, you know, so many athletes face so many different things, whether it's, um, you know, what we just said or, you know, sports being cut. Um, A lot of teams have recently, you know, due to the pandemic lost funding and, you know, that those teams like no longer existing. We see different issues and problems arising really all the time things that I haven't even thought about. It's really interesting to have those conversations and just open up your your mind and your heart to anything that an athlete may be facing. Um, and we try to cover, we try to cover a large, a large span. So, you know, recently there was a huge um case with Syracuse men's lacrosse player that um committed an act of domestic violence and thankfully he ended up in jail. But um, you know, we we covered that story because it's something that 
is important to talk about. Um, and his teammates are actually the heroes of that story. His teammates made a huge stand, said that they were not going to play with this player until action was taken, wow. uh, said that they wouldn't practice with him. Yep. It was, it was, it was incredible leadership from the leaders of the men's team, actually incredible leadership by the captains when the coach actually chose to reinstate the player, huh. even though there was pretty incriminating evidence that he had done something. Um, so yeah, we, we want to cover things that matter in the sports world. Um, whether it's directly mental health related or not. Wow, you really do take my breath away. What a public service the hidden opponent is performing. And Thank you, I appreciate so that. so needed and just getting the word out there and not have to go as far as Naomi Osaka, you know, right. to be there in, in a supportive, helpful, compassionate way. Thank you, Sandy, I appreciate that. Anything you'd like to share kind of coming up as we wind down our conversation? We like to say, you know, we kind of work with the season of the school year since so many of our, so many of our followers and supporters are, you know, current college or high school athletes. We're going to keep doing the stuff we do, which is, you know, sharing stories, putting out content on socials, but also just kind of gearing up for the school year. So we're going to be revamping our campus captains program, opening up signups for that again. And hopefully we'll get even more ambassadors of our mission on more campuses across the country. It's something we're really excited about and kind of hoping that, you know, this next year will be more of a quote unquote normal year for students Mm. and for athletes on college campuses. This past year was crazy. I'm very thankful uh, not to be in college right now. I can only, (laughs) no kidding. I can only imagine how hard it was for students, you know, going online for school and athletes getting seasons canceled and whatnot. And talk about another crazy thing that just comes up is this pandemic. You know, we have so many people coming to us with new issues, new problems that were unforeseeable in the past. Excellent. Excellent. I've got to ask, what sports do you play for recreation? Yeah. Um, So this year I enjoyed coaching soccer and lacrosse. I also played in a small pickup soccer league, 7v7 kind of thing. And then I actually played um, in a kickball league with some friends, which was a Friday night kickball league. So you can imagine what kind of fun that brought on. Mm -hmm. I'd spent some time abroad in Australia my junior year. I picked up rugby over there, which is an incredible sport that combines a lot of really interesting athletic abilities and cognitive uh, strategic gameplay and whatnot, maybe joining like a club rugby team or something and kind of just running around a bit more. So I love staying active. I love playing wherever I can. And I'm lucky that I get the opportunity to coach and still kind of pop in once in a while and, you know, show them how it's done a little bit. (laughs) Right. Well, Leanne, this was just fascinating. And I just so enjoyed meeting you. You are really a force to be reckoned with along with the hidden opponent. Thank you and Victoria and your team for the work you do. That's just so needed. Ah, Sandy, this has been, this has been awesome. I love talking about this stuff, but I really appreciate you given me and my team the time and uh, the platform to kind of share our story and share why we care about it. So thank you to you. Well, keep us in your orbit. We'd all love to hear of any new developments. Absolutely. I love that. Terrific. Join us for another edition of Conversations with Creative Women. I'm Sandy Klein. Sandy Klein.